resonating through me as a statement that I can own in both languages. I, f I feel that that has meaning. And I'm very careful about using uh, te reo because um, I'm not fluent. But when I do find the words that have uh, meaning to me, that sing to my soul, I can pick those words up. And I find as, as God allows me freedom in that, I, I feel this is my country because I'm uh, a treaty partner and there's something going on in this country that's extraordinary. Um, I think I, I was reminded again that Aotearoa is a prophetic nation. And I've, I've kind of believed that for a long time, but I, I, I let it slip off because sometimes you get distracted by other stuff. And I think Aotearoa, where the sun first shines, where we're the furthest from Jerusalem, there's something here. God has placed a deposit in this land. There was something going on in this land before the missionaries got here. The Wairua Tapu was brooding over this land for something, for a people, for a people, for a Māori people who lived here, um, who, who were seeking hungrily after something of truth, something more than what they had, and the missionaries bought Jesus. They bought Ihu Karaiti. I think it's incredible that Ihu, uh, when, when we do a hongi, uh, our noses pressed together, and the name for Jesus is uh, Ihu, and it's a sharing of breath. There's something about the sharing of breath um, in the very beginning, uh, Adam uh, was breathed into by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in this nation, yeah. and this is a prophetic nation, and God wants to do something incredible here. Yeah. And it's very, it frustrates me that sometimes we start our history story with the Treaty of Waitangi. Mm. We'll get to that. Mm. But there were 26 years of missionary engagement with Māori that is often overlooked. Yeah. And there was a great revival going on in this yeah. nation yeah. Where, where Māori sat back and listened to what these missionaries were saying. And believe me, those missionaries had to get alongside Māori and had to listen to their language and had to understand it in order to have any communication at all. This early communication wasn't done in English. And the missionaries had a big task to get alongside Māori, to listen to their hearts, to listen to their voices, and to begin to understand what the words meant. And it was those words when put into, uh, 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 when the Bible was uh, begun to be put into first, the Lord's Prayer was the very first thing that was put into to Rio. And Māori considered this a great tōanga, a great treasure. And when uh, the New Testament was printed, which was a miracle, and so we need to know these stories. And this is not where I'm going this morning, but I'm just saying that Māori, when they got hold of this, began to preach the gospel to each other before any European missionaries even got to the tribes around the Mutu, around the country. That's an extraordinary thing. There was an extraordinary thing that was going on before we even got to the Treaty of Waitangi. Mm. And another thing I think we need to look at too is who are we as a nation? And I think um, too often we defer to other nations. Too often we defer to America. Too often we defer to... Uh, England, where a lot of, uh, of the Pākehā, Tauiwi, or however you want to refer to uh, the descendants of the, 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 the early pioneers who came to this country, were actually escaping from the empire uh, that had crushed them and uh, created a class system and made them feel like they weren't worth anything. So a lot came out here to start fresh to start new, and they realised that a lot of the promises that had been made to them were actually lies because there was a marketing company called the New Zealand Company 
They began to, 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 to sell New Zealand as the great Pacific Island paradise where you could come and have a picket fence and a farm and there would be just so much opportunity. But actually land hadn't even been acquired when the marketing was begun. And when it was acquired, it was acquired from the wrong people for a pittance of £6,000 altogether of things like uh, tobacco and blankets yeah. and nails and Jews harps. What was that all about? And, and it was a con job, really. So a lot came out here and found that they had to struggle to, to find a life here. But I, one of the things I want to think is we need to reframe who we are as a people. I think we are a Pacific Island people. In Aotearoa, we've got to stop thinking of, of this uh, heritage that takes us back to somewhere else and start thinking about where we are in the Pacific. We, there are so many islands around here that we have so much in common with. And I think we need to find that, uh, that commonality. And I think we also need to remember um, that Māori have been here for 800 years. That's a long time. That's 600 years before, you know, Abel Tasman and that were just skirting around the outsides and going, there's something going on in this nation that's looking pretty frightening and scary. We're not sure we want to land here. These people look fairly fearsome, but also very entrepreneurial because they're busy about all sorts of business here. So Captain Cook, 250 years ago, we we're at a real crossroads, a real intersection where we get a chance to think about who we are again. And we'll be talking a lot about that this year. You'll hear it on the news and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, I was down at uh, Romati South, where, and, and we stayed with, um, with Sam's parents. Um, thank you, Sam. And, and that was great. What a great little church down there. They've come up here. And I always get a little bit, a little bit fearful when I get up to speak. It's a scary. It's, I can speak in front of councils, but when I get to speak in front of God's people, that's a different thing. Because that level of information, you have a responsibility with what you share because you're dealing with people's hearts and people's futures and people looking for dreams and hopes that's outside the normal political system. Yeah. We're a people who are looking for life, aren't we? Yeah. We're looking for life in the spirit. We're looking for a kingdom life that promises, promises something else. Mm. You know, that, that old national anthem, when you look at it, boy, there's a lot of promises in there, isn't it? In the bonds of love we meet, can we do that? working out this glorious plan. Are we working it out? This is the real challenge to us. This is the wiro. Are we working it out? And what can we do uh, to make that happen? So 800 years, Pacific Island, out here in the Pacific, at the edge of the world, and we've got, um, we've got this Treaty of Waitangi. So um, that, that was, you know, last, last week. And, you know, out, out here at... Um, Who's been to Atia or Tirangi, the, the star compass out here? At, where is it? Over here, isn't it? On the coast over here. That fantastic place that talks about Māori navigation and records how they got here and brings back a lot of that knowledge. Well, that was where, or well, pretty close to where uh, the Treaty of Waitangi was signed uh, in June um, um, 1940. Um, sorry, 1840, wasn't it? But we're still such a young nation, really, compared to a lot of nations in the world. And um, um, Henry Williams' um, son, Edward, and uh, Bunbury on the, uh, on the resolution came up the Tukituk River. And they spent three days up there, and the Tukituk River was very different then. There were three rivers that met together there, and there were three islands in the middle of the river. And uh, right there um, was uh, a, a, a marae, um, uh, Waipuriku, and uh, the six chiefs signed there uh, the Treaty of, of Waitangi. 
and uh, some of them were pretty suspicious about what had been going on up in the north. They thought Māori might have been made um, uh, uh, slaves in their own land and they needed convincing that this was actually a necessary arrangement. And um, re really, why did the treaty come about? Uh, because you, the, the, there were a lot of, um, there's a lot of chaos in the far north and a lot of British sailors and soldiers and, and traders had come in there and they were lawless. They had created an environment there that had, New Zealand had the reputation as being the hellhole of the Pacific or certainly at Kororareka up in Russell. And Māori was saying, boy, you, you, you guys better start looking after your own people because they're creating a lot of problems here. Um, they're often loading up with uh, goods because Māori were hugely entrepreneurial people and then taking off without paying for it or taking off with some beautiful wahini or, or just uh, fighting in the streets and all the rest of it. And Māori were already petitioning the British and saying, guys, you better sort this out because this is a mess. And it was when the missionaries were invited because they knew that something was changing and they wanted uh, the missionaries to come in and teach their children and give them an idea of what was going on and what the other side of life was all about. So really, uh, the, the treaty happened at a time when the French were snooping around too. We could all be speaking French. <laughs> We could be. I mean, the, 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 everybody was looking at this part of the world and the British had been saying, no, no, we've got colonies enough, we don't need another one. In fact, they were still recovering from the Napoleonic Wars uh, and they were, they were, they were run, they'd run out of money. And that's why a lot of people were keen to come to somewhere else. And um, so really it was Christians in the colonial office in London who recognised that there was a trouble here, largely because Edward Wakefield, Edward Gibbon Wakefield, uh, came up with this uh, get-rich-quick scheme. And he, he did this while he was in prison, and he wrote all of these letters, and, and he thought, well, I'll, I'll sell land in New Zealand. Uh, we could buy it really cheaply, and then sell it off for a lot of money. And like I said before, he'd already sold a lot of land through his New Zealand company uh, before any ships came out. And in 1839, uh, just as uh, um, Henry Williams was heading down to take Octav Octavius Hadfield, the missionary, down to Wellington, um, the, the, the boat um, uh, with William um, Wakefield had arrived in Wellington and had bought up all of this land and the missionaries were really so upset and they tried to chase him and they couldn't get him but all of this land was purchased, so purchased wrongly and, and, and that created a lot of, a, a lot of problems because um, the, the missionaries were really building strong relationships with Māori and this this just interrupted things. So really back in, in London they knew that something had to happen and um, James Stephen, who was the son of, um, of, of Stephen, who was um, a friend of William Wilberforce. You know who William Wilberforce is, eh? the guy who spent, dedicated his whole life, you know, there he was, he was a, a politician and, and, and he, he was thinking, hang on a minute, there's got to be more to life here. Than, than just sitting here, and, and, and he's a Christian also, and he asked advice of the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, well, I think I'll quit politics because I'm not sure I'm being very effective. And the, the, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, who was a pastor in London, said, no, no, don't do that. You stay right there because that's where you should be. You should be in the marketplace making a difference. And so William Wilberforce spent 20 years of his life trying to end slavery in the Pacific, and he was a mentor to um, Samuel Marsden. So there's a huge connection, this beautiful connection through the evangelical mo movement, through the humanitarians that, that were in the, in the colonial office at the time. And when it came, 
um, to deciding what we needed to do um, to, to, to protect New Zealand, the, um, he came up with something. He said, um, we, we, can't, we can't just go in there because New Zealand has uh, a, a particular kind of government of its own. Now, what have we got up here? I don't know about... I, let's just flick through here. We, we, you know, God is, is, has made from, from one blood every nation of men and women to dwell on the face of the earth, and he's determined pre-appointed times. This was Māori's pre-appointed time and place to be in Aotearoa. And while sometimes I hear that other scripture back here, and we say, oh no, we're all one people, God loves diversity. He loves us to become the people that we're called to be, no matter what nationality you are. And he wants Māori to be the best kind of Māori people that they can possibly be. And that includes the deposit that he placed in their heart and their lives and their culture. And, and we've got to work this one out together. Yes, we're all one in Christ, but we too, this is the bicultural journey, isn't it? Together we can do it. And that Treaty of Waitangi that was uh, forged in London was about protecting Māori interests. And that's really where I want to get to. We, it started off with this Declaration of Independence because Māori trade um, on their ships that were going around the world. Uh, a couple of ships got um, confiscated because they didn't have a flag. So they came up with a flag and the Declaration of Independence was made that New Zealand chiefs got together and said, and it was agreed by the king at the time that this is an independent nation. So this is the beginning of what happens with the treaty. And um, Williams translated that. And the Treaty of Tears, so this is, this is what happens. Uh, 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 do we want to have a look at what this treaty means? The Treaty of, can we see that? Oh, there it is right there. That after, uh, so this is it. The signing of the treaty is ceding governorship or te kawanatanga katoa, or sovereignty of their land. Māori would get exclusive and undisturbed possession of their lands, estates, fisheries, and forestries, etc., as long as they desired. The land and asset sales would only be available through the Crown, and the Queen promised Māori protection and equal rights and privileges alongside British citizens. There's another clause about the freedom of religion, but we won't get into that, and today we see partnership, protection, and participation. I think that's what the church should be about too. But those are the things that, were that, that, that are included in the treaty. And really on the treaty, on the day that the treaty was signed, this is a colourful drama that plays out and if you go to the Marae, you'll often see that what happens when there are issues to work out. Uh, there'll be arguments and there'll be discussions and there'll be debates and whatever. And everybody thinks, oh, perhaps the, 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 these people are unhappy with each other. But in the end, what happens is they go and have a cup of tea because they've worked it out. They've had the freedom to be able to talk it through. And Māori have a particularly interesting way of working things out. They like drama, they like colour, they like... Uh, uh, to, to get a bit noisy and, and sing a few songs and say, on the treaty signing, to, to read William Colenso's uh, record of this, there were people saying, get out of here, just go away, we don't want you, we don't want your governor, we don't want your, your presence here, just go away. And then somebody else would say, oh, no, no, they've been good for us because they, um, they've stood in the way of this violence and this alcoholism and whatever that's caused problems. You come and stay. You come. And this went on for a whole day before the treaty was signed. So it was well debated and well understood. And then finally, on the day of signing, on the 6th of February, 1840, no one moved. They just sat there until Busby, who was the um, New Zealand um, registrar, or whatever it was at that time, called Honihiki's name. And Honi Hickey was a, a friend of um, Henry Williams and he carried a Bible under his arm and he was a bit of an upstart, but he was well respected. And um, Busby called Hickey's name 
But then William Colenso stood up and said, do Māori fully understand what they're about to sign? There's no fault of mine if they don't, said Governor Hobson. And then Hickey said, uh, Māori would rely on the missionaries, which I find is a really interesting statement. So 540 Māori chiefs signed nine copies, including 13 women who were in chiefly positions, and it was viewed by many as a sacred kawanata or covenant. There would have been no signing of the Treaty of Waitangi if Māori did not trust the missionaries. So this was, this was handed to us. This is our heritage. This is something that we, that we have as part of our story. And so often I think as church and different denominations around the country have ignored us. We've ignored the treaty. We've ignored our stories. We've ignored who we are in Christ. We've ignored what, what, what God started to do in this country. Even before 1814 when the missionaries came here, there were arrangements being established and, and relationships established in Sydney and Māori were travelling around the world and seeing that things were changing. We're in this together. Hey, iwi tahi tato. Not the Don Brash version, but the version that says that we're partners in this business. We've got to work this out together. And... Um, so I, I, I read you that, and there's a picture that Dick Frizzell said I could use. So um, that's a great picture of, of, of what's been going on. And you know, I, this is a humanitarian document that was supported by those in the colonial office. But after a very short period of time, those in the colonial office had gone. And then all, the, all, all, all that I told you before about uh, the Wakefields and the New Zealand Company, there were shiploads of people on the way to Aotearoa looking for the land that had been promised them. And now, with um, pretty soon afterwards, without, um, without any treaty to, to arrange this, this looked like it was just going to be a commercial takeover. It's just like a bunch of used car salespeople coming in and looking for a, a, a good deal without considering the interests of the people who were here first, the Tangata Whenua. So what really, I mean, one of the guys, this is also Barney Rhodes, was, it was a fellow that, um, that was out off the coast here in 1839, and he was looking around, and he, he got a few signatures, and he thought that he'd purchased everything from Wairua to Wairarapa. <laughs> so, you know, things could have been very different if that treaty hadn't been signed up the, the Tukituka River mouth, and William Williams, the missionary who was up at Gisborne at the time, said, oh, well, hang on a minute, Taiho. And most of the Māori from this region were up at Nukutaurua, up in, up in Mahia Peninsula, uh, after the musket wars, because the, the guys here, they didn't have the muskets until pretty late in the game, and it got fairly nasty, so they just left a few people here to keep the ahikar, or the fires of occupation burning to make sure that their ownership of this land wasn't disputed and they showed up there and a lot of that's where a lot of them heard first about Christianity and that's where they a lot of them came back and uh, some of the Māori missionaries built a, um, a 400 seater um, um, temple really a, a, a meeting place for Christians um, down there by that uh, down at, down by the Te Awatea, um uh, place there. So the, 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 the Christianity was having a huge influence here already and that's when Māori started to come back when they felt it was safe, when Colenso was established here, Māori came back from the far north, but if it, uh, but if it, from uh, Mahia, but if it hadn't been for the Treaty of Waitangi being signed, which just put an end to uh, a Barney Rhodes' claim on this land, things could have been, could have been very different. So I think we're... Um, some of the things that have been said about the treaty that help us understand it 
Um, this is George Clark, and these statements were also made by Chief Justice Martin. The expressive language used and fully understood by both parties to the treaty was this, that the shadow of the land was to be the Queen's, meaning the Queen's sovereignty, and the substance to remain to the native chiefs. Their lands and the Tinoranga Tiratanga, or chieftainship, over the tribes. So it was made fairly clear, and there's been lots of debate over those three um, paragraphs in the Treaty of Waitangi, so much about it, but so little mention of God. And I think that's part of the problem today, is that we're trying to solve all of these things politically, and we're missing the fact that there's a spiritual side to this. This is a kawanata. It's almost like a marriage covenant, in a way, with two people coming together. And when you do that, you have to work it out. You have to work out your marriage. And it's not, it's not a legal statement that you, uh, that you can get away from. Um, it's something that relationship, you know, in a marriage, you've got to work out your relationship. You've got to work out your difficulties. And we're still in the process of doing that. And um, there was a betrayal, really. Um, in 1845, um, missionary advice was ignored. And there was a, a, an edict that came from England that, um, that any land that wasn't being used or farmed would be considered waste land that would be taken over by the government because they wanted to have um, more land for, um, for, for the um, people to come in and, and live from other parts of the world. And Henry Williams, who translated the Treaty of Waitangi, regarded this as a warrant of extermination. He was really upset that the British government was doing what it was doing um, he, he'd assured Māori that this was the Magna Carta that would secure their rights and privileges. And he assured them that you're not slaves of Queen Victoria because rumours were going around. And uh, Honihiki was getting pretty upset. He was uh, rowing his walk around in Kōrūrārika with an American flag in the back because everybody says, you're slaves now, you've signed it all away. Um, the Christians in the colonial office had gone. And... Um, um, uh, William said to Bishop Selwyn, the treaty is a sacred compact. It's impossible for the Queen or the Governor to admit deceit toward the chiefs. And then he writes to the Church Missionary Society what he's really feeling, that he's appalled at the attempted violation of the treaty. He would never again plead the honour and integrity of Her Majesty's Government, which appeared to be lost or never possessed. And that's pretty sad, isn't it? Is that even Henry Williams, who represented Māori and the missionaries, um, both being betrayed here, he's really upset at what's happened here, and um, it, 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 it was really the beginning of the end in a, in a lot of ways. So more and more land is taken, and we end up with um, the land wars, with the troops being brought in to try and quell Hickey's upset up north. He even went to Henry Williams beforehand with his Bible in his hand, believing that he was doing God's work and saying, you know, I'm, all I want is the governor to come and deal with some of these issues, these promises that were made. This treaty's being broken. How are we going to sort this out? How are we going to come together and sort this out? But this is also the beginning of the, a period called the land wars, in Aotearoa, where the troops were brought into Taranaki, and it spread to the Bay of Plenty, and it spread over to this coast too, and a huge amount of land was taken by the government uh, where Māori were declared rebels. But the trouble is, you see, that a lot of these Māori were Christians, and they were starting to look around and think, well, what's happened here? Where is, where, who's going to stand in our defence? This land is, is gone, it's been taken out from underneath us, we've been declared re rebels, um, the, the, uh, a state of um, 
martial law has been declared before. We've even raised um, our arms. So this really is the source of a lot of bitterness that we face today. And this is where I think the church still has a big responsibility to step up and take some responsibility for, as peacemakers. Because that's what we're called to be, isn't it? And, um, you know, we need to um, make an effort. And for, for Māori within the church to... Um, the first church we have to remember was a Māori church. The Māori were the first to, 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 to have a church here and it was all in their own language. And then shortly after the land wars, it's, it's, it's much more the missionaries are now dealing with the colonial arrivals and Māori are left on their own. And a lot of those teachers who were working with the Methodists and the Anglicans and well, they were the only ones that were here early on, uh, are going, well, what's happening? And now the, the Old Testament has been translated into Reo Māori, and now we've got a people who start to see the stories of the promised land and begin to embrace that and say, well, actually, we, we, we can see some truth in this. And it becomes a little bit militant and a little bit mixed up, but still they've got a heart after God, after um, a new Jerusalem where people can uh, link together in love. So the Gospel came to... Uh, New Zealand and te reo Māori. Māori took it to their own people. The first churches were Māori churches, and over the years we've we've done a we've done a job of assimilating. You know, Māori have come into churches in different ways over a period of time, and often been um, um, been told we want you to be like us. You know, we've 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 had our mission efforts overseas. And we welcome the Chinese or the Asians, and we'll give us a give us some of your songs, some of your cultural songs. But Māori not invited to do a haka or kapahaka or sing their songs, or, unless they happen to be good uh, good musicians. Maybe they might get a part in the band. And you see Māori sitting up the back there, and oh, they come along for a few weeks, and then the pastor or somebody go and say, oh, that uh, that ticky around your neck. Um, it's a bit demonic, you need to get rid of that. Well, that greenstone, where did that come from? Oh, it got passed down from my ancestors. Oh, you need to get rid of that. Oh, have you got some photos on the, on the, on the walls of your house of your ancestors? Oh, that's ancestor worship, you need to get rid of that. Boy, we, we, we hurt Māori. We did an awful lot of damage in a short space of time through our charismatic and Pentecostal evangelising, and there's a lot of pain. And then the pastors or whatever turn around and oh, well, what happened to all those Māori fellows that used to come into our church? Oh, oh they're gone. And, and that happened. That, about three different waves of that happened. And even the academics were starting to say after a while, well, what has this Christianity brought to us? You know, we might as well go back to our old gods. But we've got a powerful God. We've got an amazing God. We've got a God who's embracing. We've got a God who loves Māori people. We've got a God who brooded through his Holy Spirit over Māori and Aotearoa, looking for something that they had to bring to the church. You know, I think if Māori are not in our congregations, we're missing something. We're missing a prophetic voice. We're missing a song, a sound of the land. You know, I think we've got to get back. We've got to, we're at this crossroads in history. This, this period of time, I think we're realigning for the times. And, and we've got to start looking at all of these things and thinking, we, we are, why isn't the church growing? Why isn't it moving on? Because it's not listening to the sound of the land. Because it's not listening to the heart of God. Because it's not listening to what Māori people have to say. Because we, re we, we rejected the voice of Māori when we promised them a voice through the Treaty of Waitangi. And in the church which should be leading the way, we have not given Māori the voice that they needed. 
whenever Māori evangelists have stood up and moved around the country, there's been a great move of God. Yeah. And then they come into our churches and we say, well, you can't dress like that. They did that to the hippies too. These, these hierarchical structures that did a lot of damage. No, no, you've got to be like the old move. Well, there's a new move coming. We ought to be part of a new move. There's a new move blowing through. There's a wind blowing through that is saying we need to clear out the cobwebs from all the damage that was done in the past. And we have to ask forgiveness of Māori. And we have to ask forgiveness from those people who were different, who were rejected because they weren't like us. You know, God loves diversity. He loves to have all of the nations come into his church. He loves the multicultural nation of his church. And it's growing more and more multicultural. But we have to come back to the bicultural journey. We two peoples together make a great nation. That was the promise that was made. We two peoples together, partnership, protection, participation. Where's the participation? We need to see Māori participating in who we are as a body of Christ. What does that look like in Hawke's Bay? What does that look like in Bay Vineyard? We've got to have this conversation. We've got to start looking at it. This treaty is a God covenant. It's a marriage covenant. We've got to work this out. We might not be in the best shape in terms of our relationships, but I think we're at a point in time in history where we can review it, re-look at it. You know, when I was down at, at Sam's parents at, at Ramadi Beach and I was going to talk about all this stuff, I'd been to Ratanapar and I'd, I'd spoken there because I think he's an amazing prophet. In fact, if it hadn't been for Ratana, we wouldn't have the Treaty of Waitangi today. He went round the Dumutu and he gathered signatures from every tribe and, and he heard their stories and, and through Eruwera Tirakatni in 1932, he took it to Parliament and he tabled it. He said, this treaty, this petition of two-thirds of all Māori is for the good of all New Zealanders, for our Pākehā and Māori relationships depend on us bringing this back into a position where we can honour the treaty. And we're in the process of doing that. I think we're a leading nation in the way that we're handling this, but boy, we've, our relationships have got to get back on track. Otherwise, it's down to the politicians, and the church needs to lead the way. And while I was sitting there, before I was about to speak down at Raumati Beach, I heard, I got up, I get a bit nervous, and I heard, as you probably heard today, aligning for the times. I thought, oh, aligning. It was, well, you know, sometimes a voice comes and it's not, you know, it's not just you. There's something there. This is like a God word that just drops deep down into your spirit. And I thought, all of these things were after a hundred years since this Holy Spirit vision. Um, Pariaka, it was round about the time when they were commemorating um, the land wars and their peaceful coexistence, trying to bring about a godly type of community that is a model for us. These are all, uh, God has placed hallmarks, he's placed signposts in our history that show us of the things that have happened in the past. And the Treaty of Waitangi is part of that too. But this aligning for the times, I've got the sense I'll get a chance to reset. And the Treaty of Waitangi or the Waitangi weekend or whatever is always a chance to reconsider. Where are we at? How well are we doing? Where are we going? And where do we go from here? And I think we ought to do this every year. We ought to look at it. Perhaps we ought to go to Waitangi. Perhaps we ought to, um, I see there's a, there's a, well, Norm McLeod, who's a friend of mine, was, was quite excited because um, there was a waka up at Waitangi this year that was completely uh, crewed by Christians. And that had never happened before. That was awesome. And there were women amongst it. Yeah. And, they, and they prayed for it. And this was, this, he's just going, wow. This is, 
I've been dreaming of this, and he's a great one to dream of, the, the one locker and the warriors rising up out of Aotearoa, New Zealand, with something for the rest of the world. And believe me, Māori do have something for the rest of the world. They're already consulting with North American Indian tribes, with Aboriginals and others, because they have something. We've got a deposit down here at the end of the world to take to the rest of the world, but boy, we've got to get our act together. You know, what would happen if a whole lot of gang members, what if, what if uh, Andre, uh, in his successful evangelism, suddenly got 20 or 30 of his bros come in the door there. How would we handle that? Have we the resources to deal with that? Or would we go, um, oh, that's a bit frightening. That's a bit scary. So I think if we want this kind of revelation, if we, will, if we want this kind of partnership, if we want this kind of participation, we've got to man up. Oh, I've heard that somewhere before, haven't we? A woman up or whatever. Boy, we... we we, we have to have the resources and, and, and the fearlessness to be able to go and have a kūrero and to look at people straight in the eye. Or if Bruce brings the people along from um, um, Marewa, which we say is our, our evangelical focus. What if Bruce brings all his mates along? How are we going to deal with that? What if David breaks his leg and falls off a wall? He did. How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to get alongside uh, Māori and others who are different or broken or hurting or needy or drug addicted or mentally unstable? How are we going to deal with that? That's untidy. And sometimes the church is an untidy place, but God is the one who brings order out of chaos and out of this chaos out of this partnership he's going to do amazing things in Aotearoa New Zealand and if we get it and we've run with the story he will do amazing things in our midst and Wairuatapu will move in a healing way in our seats you know we're called to be a body and the best thing that God planned was that his body minister to each other the body ministry is the best ministry, the person sitting next to you in the pew. You know, we're treaty partners, but we're partners in God and what his body looks like, and he wants his body to be healed and restored so we can be more effective than we ever were. God wants Māori to be full members of the body of Christ. He wants us all to be members of the body of Christ, not spectators sitting in the back seat. And sometimes our attitudes get in the way. I think sometimes we need to stop and go, what has my attitude been toward Māori? Do, do I really take the time to have that conversation or to go a little bit deeper than just, yeah, g'day, how are you, slap you on the back, see you next week? Can we do that? Can we have that? Um, can we have that, uh, that conversation and that hospitality and that willingness to share our hearts because sometimes being bold enough to share your heart is the door, will open the door to allow others to feel safe. And this is supposed to be a safe place, isn't it? The church is supposed to be a safe place. We can work stuff out here that you can't do in a normal public environment. And if we work stuff out, we'll get healed, we'll get stronger, Amen. we'll understand what it means to be a treaty partner. You know, love God, love your neighbour. As simple as that, really, isn't it? But love is a complex thing. And sometimes loving people is not easy because some people are not easy to love. But if we only love those who love us, uh, we take an easy road out. I think God wants us to learn about hard love, to learn about getting alongside people that we wouldn't normally associate with. Māori are not the other. They're us. They're our partners. 
They're our friends. They're partners in the body of Christ. And if we get that, then we're on the bicultural journey. Then we're understanding the treaty. Then we're actually heading on a journey that will be good for all of us. Father God, I just want to ask right now that as we come together today around this idea of what it means to be a loving body, a body of people who learn to care for one another and can love one another and learn what deep love really is about, that you would begin to show us how to sweep aside our preconceptions, our biases, our racism, our, our stinking thinking, and give us an opportunity, Lord, to see beyond the surface, because that's where you see. That's where you see, Lord, you see the heart. So I ask today that you would sweep through this place by your healing, discerning, wonderful, wairuatapu, Holy Spirit, Lord, and just reveal anything that might be in the way of us becoming a more loving people toward one another yeah. and a more loving people that actually arise and shine in a way that only you can do in our lives. So thank you.